Welcome to episode six of season six of the Simplify and Multiply show. And today I'm going to be speaking with Kara Saletto. And Kara is a keynote speaker, an author, and she consults with businesses on reducing employee turnover. And she's got some really great things to share with you today. So let's listen in. If you are a solopreneur and want growing your business to be easier, welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show. Hosted by award-winning creative, business development expert, and tactical coach, Terry Pappy. The Simplify and Multiply show promises to become your practical, tactical, and motivational guide to succeeding as a solopreneur. Hey there, Solo. I'm Terry Pappy, and I created Simplify and Multiply to provide you a place where you can discover how to make your business more profitable. I'm going to do this by helping you remove the complexity from marketing and business development. So if that sounds good to you, listen in. Well, hello, Kara. Thank you so much for being here today on the Simplify and Multiply show. How are you? I am wonderful. <laughs> Thanks for asking. I'm so glad to be here. It's great. Well, I'll tell you what, this is like such a powerful season around beliefs and business. And I am so glad that you're here to share what we talked about prior to this session. And because I think that my listener is going to be really profoundly moved by how they're approaching their business. So, but before we get started into the content, why don't you give our listener a little bit of background around the work you're doing today and, you know, just kind of how you discovered that and how you became a solo and now you have 10 people working for you. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I started a company about seven years ago and I I actually just went out to be a consultant mm. <laughs> and didn't really know what my niche was going to be. Uh, I do have my MBA, so I thought I can help businesses grow and figure out some areas that they can do better in. And as I listened to the market, I realized that everyone was complaining about uh, millennials and young mm. professionals, which <laughs> oh, goodness, I happen yeah. to be one of the oldest millennials. So I started talking about millennials. I started training about millennials and I really started to grow my training company and speaking business around that generational dynamic conversation. So then a few years into that, we realized that corporate groups don't have a line item on their budget for bridging generational gaps. <laughs> and Imagine they, that. Yeah, they what, knew the, the topic was... We should care about the workforce? What? Right, right. <laughs> well, they knew it was an issue and causing conflict and, and miscommunication, but they didn't know exactly how to pay for it or whose budget that should come out of. So we thought bigger picture about the problems that we solve. And we said, you know, we're really bridging generational gaps to reduce turnover, this there employee turnover, which coming out of the market, I'm sorry, coming out of the recession, um, the market was getting better for most companies, but then turnover was getting worse because staff had more options. So in 2015, we rebranded and re- prioritized our efforts and we expanded our messaging to all things retention. How do you keep your people? Why are they leaving? What's going on? So at that point, we started doing more training programs 
And now we use uh, professional speaking engagements and keynotes as both a revenue generator, but also a lead generator to get us in front of the right kind of clients who are sitting at those conferences we're speaking at. Um, Now we have a team of 10 folks. There are trainers and of course, operations, sales and marketing, and we now deploy out these training programs across the country using not just me and what I have written and what I have built, but also other people now can deploy that um, also. So I'm trying to stay home a little bit more. I have a five-year-old. Yay. <laughs> so as he gets older, I would so like you to basically go to his... when you rebranded is when you were pregnant. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So yes, we uh, we actually just are trying to keep me home more, not completely, but I used to do 75 mm-hmm. to 100 training dates a year. Oh my goodness. Now I'm doing 50 to 70 a year and my team does the rest. And then I'd yeah. like to get to maybe 30 travel days a year type of, of approach. And I bet you're, you're more, po- I would, shouldn't say more powerful, but it's important for you to be on stage as well as that lead generator because I I mean I've watched your videos I haven't seen you live but you're an amazing speaker you really are oh, yeah. thank you <laughs> so and just for the listener I just wanted to sidebar uh really quick uh this is one of the reasons why I interview so many NSA speakers or so many solopreneurs who have speaking as a leg on their table in their business because speaking is not just a a revenue generator, right? You don't want to just go from gig to gig. You want to have that to be part of your business strategy because it gives you the opportunity to get in front of audiences who will hire you for your other higher skills and have long-term relationships where you can get more wallet share over time, which is exactly what you've done, Kara, in your business. And I'm also going to have much more information about Kara on the show notes page. So anyway, um, so what I wanted to explore with you, Kara, today was let's talk about how a couple things. Okay, first of all, when you started this business, what were some of the things that you did in order to get close to identifying exactly what the pain points and the problems were inside these corporate environments? Sure. So I happened to get my MBA in entrepreneurship. And that meant that, excuse me, they taught us how to do um, business plans, how to do market research, how to build a financial model of projections for revenue and expenses when you have no history. It's much different to do financial statements and planning pro forma statements when you don't have that corporate historical record of how much you've spent on things or what people bought in the past and those types of trends. Yeah, kind of important stuff. (laughs) It is. Well, and it's very interesting because people say, how do you get a degree in entrepreneurship? And it's like, you have to actually look at marketing, finance, operations, accounting. You have to look at all of those things through a different lens than you look at it from a more corporate environment that is more stable. Or something that's established. Yeah, yeah, just has more history. Exactly. If it's more established. Mm. So I did have some tools in my tool belt for that. And when I first got started, they had taught us to listen to the market it's a great thing to have a passion and to want to go out and change the world and, and do that. But I have met tons of entrepreneurs over the years who were only following their passion and they hadn't done the market research or they hadn't crunched the numbers on whether or not people would pay 
for their passion. That's kind of a core concept. Yes. Well, and unfortunately, they would get a lot of momentum right up front or a lot of their friends and family would say, yes, we would buy this or that's a great idea. And then when they- The wrong people to ask. (laughs) Yeah. They'd go out to the market and then find out that their price point was too high. Or the thing I saw over and over was people would, uh, they would go out in the market and realize that there's a reason nobody's done this yet because they thought they found a hole and it was no because you can't deliver what people want at the price point they want it at Mm -hmm. and so you have to hopefully you can take your passion and align that with a business need so we took the generational conversation and really took that into the business CEO mindset. What does a CEO think about that? Why would a CEO even care? And then once we put ourselves in their shoes, we were able to repackage things and say it in a way that really meant something to them and also start calculating the costs of, you can calculate the cost of turnover much easier and more effectively than you can calculate the cost of a generational gap. That's yeah. much more touchy-feely, you know, fluffy or yeah, intangible. It's very qualitative. Yeah. So when when we even got started, we were trying to tell companies, this will help improve your bottom line. But it was harder to calculate that than it is now. And it's very general. Something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every, of course, everybody wants to help their bottom line, but they're getting, you know, this this array, this buffet of choices of areas in their business, operationally, marketing, sales, that they can improve, right? And what right. you help them do is you help them identify a, a pain point that had a very measurable uh, bottom line impact, and that was turnover yes. and retention. And speaking of metrics, we have figured out that with turnover, if any of you are familiar with employee turnover and how corporate groups deal with that, they have one number that they look at. They look at what is our annual turnover percentage. Mm. And we have gotten them to think differently about that because the people who've been at any organization for a long, long time, they are not a flight risk. They are going to stay until they retire. They're comfortable. They have seniority. They make good money. They're not a flight risk. And the younger people or even just newer hires of any age Mm -hmm. that are coming into an organization, they are the flight risk. So what we got companies to see, and this has made a huge difference in selling our programs, is we now help them calculate some new business metrics that matter. So we are saying, take the people, take the seasoned people out of your equation and forget about that group. Wow, that's really, that is interesting. Yeah, they're not the ones you're trying to retain. And instead, look at, say, the last five years of new hires. How long did each of them last? And if we're working with a company that has a lot of that 30, 60, 90 day turnover, you know, mm-hmm. lower skilled or lower wage workers, like per for diem example, employees or something yes, like that, yeah. then, then now all of a sudden we have not only said, yeah, we will reduce your overall turnover, but more than anything, we're going to impact your new higher turnover, which you're not even calculating properly right now. And we're going to wow. give you some metrics and calculations around that. So anything that 
the listeners today can think about how would you calculate things differently if you were the client and how can you prove your results of working with them in a way that maybe they're not currently calculating or measuring. Mm -hmm. If you can come up with your own new metric of some kind and then show how much you moved the needle for past clients, it pays for itself. I mean, our programs, we say they pay for themselves because you're not spending as much on overtime uh, premiums. You're not spending as much on temp agencies. And instead, you invest up front on better training for your managers, which is costly yeah. up front. But then all these other costs are going to go down and it improves your quality because you have less turnover and better continuity across staff. So, be able to have that conversation with a CEO or a CFO. If you're not a person who is naturally comfortable with numbers and, uh, you know, calculating those things or financial spreadsheets, put it into your own words. Put some things into your own terms or your own calculations. We have our own cost of turnover calculator that anybody can can use, even if they're not you know, financially savvy. <laughs> we put it in very easy terms and our clients love that tool to have those conversations. Well, I think a, a couple takeaways from that, Kara, uh, that I think what is most brilliant, first of all, the context is you really know your client's pain, their world, what they're dealing with, what's important to them. Like you said, getting it from the CEO's perspective, right? So you're looking at it from a business perspective. The other thing is you've, because you've gotten so close to what you do, you've realized that there is this flaw in existing metrics that any business would be normally taking, and that is looking at the tenured employee and including that in the data set. And when you include a, a flawed piece of metric in your data set, it's always going to throw things off and they'll never really get accurate. So the fact that you realized that and brought that insight alone to your prospect and your customers, it was a game changer. And of course, you're going to be able to more powerfully create a, uh, a tool that can measure, provide them analytics and information so they can take appropriate action and see where the improvement is. That's the key right there. If you can demonstrate through your work the ability for them to see change, measurable change, then that's a it's a slam dunk in my world. And I think that that's huge. So what I want the listener to get from this particular part of the conversation is what is it that you're delivering that is not just solving a problem, but actually providing a value that's either has a dollar amount associated with it or a physical life experience, you know, quality of life type of improvement associated that can be tied to dollar value. Because if you are outpricing your product in the marketplace, you're not going to be able to sell it to anybody, regardless of what it is and what problem you solve. So when you look at it from the perspective of your customer, not just to solve their problem, but from a buying decision, is this an investment that I will see a return in? In other words, if I have this thing, am I going to not only solve the problem, but also make money from it or have a better life from it? So I think that that is huge. And the example you gave is just totally spot on. Terry will be right back with the rest of the show in just a moment. 
Are you getting the sense that there may be some long-held beliefs getting in the way of your business thriving? A solopreneur business can be challenging at times, to say the least. Everything from simplifying marketing to keeping your pipeline filled with a steady stream of great clients, there is a ton to do to run your business and be successful. The cause of these challenges may not necessarily be the economy, a missing marketing tactic or strategic action you're not taking, but a hidden belief that doesn't serve you or your business. The good news is you can uncover and change a belief that's sabotaging your business happiness, and I have the tools that'll help you. You'll find them inside my new home for solopreneurs, Pappy Club. I invite you to join for free right now. Get what you need to crush those limiting beliefs and define new beliefs that support business success and your overall happiness. Head over to pappyclub.com to sign up and start infusing your thinking with positive beliefs that support how awesome you are and all of the great things you've yet to accomplish in your business and life. That's P-A-P-P-Y-C-L-U-B.com to sign up now and I'll see you there. You said something a moment ago that came to mind as well is in the packaging of it. We don't sell training by the hour or by the day, which a lot of training companies or trainers would do. And instead, we say we reduce employee turnover. So that's what you're buying. You're buying the value of the program that we do. And then when we build a new program, we package it to get maximum results for people. So I used to just teach a half day class on generations or a half day class on reducing turnover. And I realized that most people didn't do anything with it. They said it was a great class and oh, lots of good takeaways. <laughs> and a few people would implement something they learned. But if I ran into management or other folks from that class six or 12 months later, they said, Back oh, to the man, old behavior, those were, isn't it? Yeah, those were great ideas, but Ooh. I just am so busy. They didn't give me time to implement them. And they blame it on somebody, right? HR Plus, or the company. Plus, it's easier to go back to the behavior you're used to doing yes. because it's tried and true. It's the whole change management thing. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So instead, now we we package to the cost of solving the problem. If a company tells me they're spending a half million dollars on overtime each year because they're short staffed and they have to have extra people pull those shifts, then that means a $50,000 training program that would cut that number in half is well worth itself. So instead of pricing training by the day, I can sell them a $50,000 program that mm -hmm. is not just training. We don't just do that. We also have reinforcement videos that they get yeah. after the training yeah. session. We Love give it. them, you know, we, we facilitate these task force calls that we do for six months. Yeah, you got to have the, the accountability. Yeah, during the program and after. So we built in all these extra, we say bells and whistles, but they're really the things that make the program stick and mm. that most importantly, make the program work. We help handhold people through that. Now, I you do not to, do yeah. at this moment, we don't do coaching. We don't do consulting. We just do training programs, but we still it's a comprehensive training program. We still handhold them through and after the training program, 
but we don't call ourselves coaches or consultants because we don't sell that by itself. You've got to go through the training program and get the whole package, but then we're able to price that at a very healthy price for those with great profitability because we know that that package reduces their turnover costs that they have. So just think about instead of pricing things like by the hour or by the small thing, think about the results and can I get them better results through a better, more expensive package? (laughs) Yeah, I love it. And here's another thing, and this is what I coach my clients on. You don't want to go in saying you're a this. I'm a trainer. I'm a, Mm -mm. you know, coach. I'm a consultant. I'm a, like for me, for the longest time, you know, it's like, oh, I'm a web designer, I'm a copywriter, but I did so many technical things that I (laughs) could never figure out which one I wanted to lead with. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. It's like people lead with the bucket that is the label of what they feel their method of delivery of solution. And that's why I love messaging and packaging, because if you're not talking about what you do in a way that your ideal client is listening for, meaning it has to dovetail into their problem. It has to dovetail into how they think they need to solve their problem. Use that as a gateway introduction in order for you to have the conversation where you're educating them (laughs) that (laughs) there is a different way that their problem needs to be solved. And I think that you're, you're doing that brilliantly. And here's the other thing. I have a lot of training clients, uh, just to use the training term just for context, Mm -hmm. but I have a lot of clients who are doing that. And this is the exact approach I offer to them when we're building their brand and product strategy, because you have to go in with a preset agreement that you're going to provide measurement, measurable improvement. It's almost a form of a guarantee. But here's the deal, Mr. Customer. This is how we can guarantee that you'll get that measurable improvement. We work with you over a year and we do this, you know, we do, you know, spot check, everything you just described. That's how it has to be. Us human beings, we need the handholding. We need the structure because we're in a role in our J-O-B where we're doing ABC every day. We're being asked to do a lot. We're always running out of time, blah, blah, blah. So we're dealing with putting out the fires every day. Then all of a sudden we got to give up three days to go sit in a training class? No, I'm sorry. So the whole learning experience for anybody in business, but in a corporate setting, it's much more restrictive from the standpoint of they have to stop doing job A to go over and learn something. And the fact that you're coming in and providing that ongoing support in multiple ways, accountability calls, uh, giving them actions to do, having micro video learning that they can access at their leisure. I mean, these are all really strong ways for us to provide that learning and development support, which really how I like to look at it, not just like sit in a training class and listen to somebody talk, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that whole experience is becoming much more ingrained into the business environment, whether you're a solopreneur, whether you're working for a Fortune 50 company. And it's something that I think is really important. And I still think that we're figuring it out. Like, I want to interview you in like five years and see how you've further modified how you're delivering your value because what you're doing now is so leading edge. And I love that you're in that direction. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're seven years in and I wish I had known and done some of the things we're doing now, you know, five years ago, but I keep telling myself I'm only 38 years old and I'm thinking, wow, where am I going to be at 45 and 50? <laughs> you know, what yeah. else can we do? Strategic You're going to be killing it, girl. And, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm just so excited to expand what we're doing to more companies because we're we're so passionate about making bosses suck less. That's really what we do. And so that needs to be your new tagline. I just, right. I know. I just want to get that message out to more companies and more bosses and things. But, you know, one final thing comes to mind real quick before we go. And that is when you start to change the language around your packages and those results and those metrics, that's when the executives get on the sales call with you. Because for so long, we were selling to HR or to training leaders or to somebody who was maybe a director of a department. And once we started asking, how much are you spending on overtime? And how much is this costing you? And what problems is this causing for the business? When we started asking more strategic and higher level business questions, they would say, oh, I think we need to get the VP on the phone or the CFO on the phone. (laughs) And if I can get a CFO on the phone to talk about the cost of turnover, They will buy anything we're selling because they're talking, you know, at least half a million, if not multiple millions of dollars in loss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're looking for real solutions. So that is especially if it's a people centric workforce, you know, if it's if heavy, heavy workforce uh, costs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people are the number one cost. Right. So. Right. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to comment on is you are. When you go into having these conversations, one of the things that you're so well equipped uh, with that I spoke to earlier is your ability to measure. Okay, so you're going in, you're able to show them how to measure it properly. So how does the conversation go when you get on with an organization that really embarrassingly so doesn't have a clue what their retention losses are? what it's costing them. How do you help them find that out? Sure. So we, we prove our smarts in this field by asking good questions. And I've been taught by sales coaches um, in the past to kind of assume that they would know those things Mm -hmm. and let them have to admit, you know, Carol, we're not really tracking that. And I don't want them to feel like a dummy or, or put them too much on the spot, but I will say, well, you're tracking your, your annual turnover averages for the last five or 10 years, right? I mean, you know how long the new hire that comes in on Monday is likely to be here. Don't you? I mean, do you have that? And that's when they sheepishly say, no, not exactly. You know, I never thought about it. I could probably get those numbers, but I'm so could that be something that could be like a, (laughs) and this is just me kind of laying what I do for my clients on on top of you, which is, Mm -hmm. could that be of some sort of like mini consulting handshake where you can say, well, listen, why don't you, you know, why don't I work with XYZ, you know, CFO or whatever, and help you guys get those set up so we can actually get some real numbers and we can see, because wouldn't you want to know if there's an opportunity for you to help them have improvement? Yes, absolutely. Now, 
I agree with you that if you could do that as a phase one relationship, mm-hmm. that yeah. would be fantastic. In the business that we are in, they know the costs are there. They know the problems are there. And even if they haven't actually calculated that, they don't know like the exact number, already, but they know it's a problem. Yeah. Okay. They know it's a huge problem. And so sometimes they will just go ahead and bring us in and say, okay, so that's so enough to actually gonna- get a, get a contract. Absolutely. They're going to say, wow, you, well, and it comes back to the questions that we ask. They're saying, wow, you are asking us questions, Kara, that we've never even thought about, or we've never calculated. So we've got to get you in here because we need a shift of mindset on this Mm -hmm. whole thing. And our Mm -hmm. cost of turnover worksheet is part of the training program that we teach all the managers. Look at all these ways turnover hits the bottom line Mm. and you have the most influence on whether people stay or go. So we just ask a few of the key questions to the executives before the sale. They're so impressed typically just that we get it and that we have these kind of ideas and metrics in place. And they say, we need all of our managers to understand that and to speak that language. So yes, let's, let's do this. If people have a different model, I could absolutely see them doing a phase one. Let me come in and help you calculate it. Oftentimes in our sales call, we ask those questions and they say, you know, I don't know. They can identify you as the expert right away. Yeah, but then they'll yeah. they will actually go and either get those numbers or try to get those numbers and then and they realize they have no clue. <laughs> they're they're not even collecting the right kind of data to be able to analyze oh some gosh. of the types of metrics that we yeah. suggest. And we don't force them to use it, but of we course. suggest a new way of thinking about their problem and mm-hmm. a new way of calculating that particular problem. Some of your listeners are going to be able to do that and come up with their own uh, metrics and conversations around that. Others, they can and should use the metrics that are there um, and maybe just position them a little differently or, or dive into them deeper in that sales conversation for sure. Oh, that's great. And, you know, just to the listener, listen to this again and try to pick out moments where Kara was sharing what she did and lay that against your business and see how you can tweak and adjust. So as we wrap up, Kara, I wanted to, since this is a season around how beliefs shape your business, the way you're approaching this is totally belief-centric. So one of the things that we had mentioned is that many uh, solos will turn their side hustle into a full-time gig or they'll get riffed and they'll go follow their passion. Mm -hmm. So the mindset can be around doing their their passion, their skill, their talent, whatever that is, the way they want to do it, because maybe in their corporate experience, they were, you know, not allowed to have as much empowerment in how they wanted to drive the solution, or they're just trying something completely different, but they're going based on what they love to do. So one of the things that we had talked about in our first conversation was how that can be very debilitated. And we touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but I'd love for you to just kind of wrap up our conversation by speaking to how our listener, how a solopreneur can take their passion and combine it with a true understanding and exploration of their market and where the problems really lie. Yeah. So listen to the market. 
what are people complaining about? Um, sometimes you know what market you want to go into and other times you have the passion and you're not sure where it would be the best fit. So you may have to listen to healthcare, listen to manufacturing, Mm -hmm. listen to the education sector or agriculture or whatever areas of business you could apply your uh, expertise to and just listen for where those gaps are. When people talk about where they want to be versus where they are, so in some cases they want to bring in more revenue, but they're not. Or they'd like to keep their people longer, but they're not, you know, or they need to reduce costs and they can't, they don't know how to do that. Whatever it is that, that you're solving, um, or could solve, try to fill in your passion into those gaps. Everything that you do should be tied back to the bottom line in some way. So again, I could still be pitching that we bridge generational gaps and we explain millennials and, you know, still using all that generational conversation, but instead I still teach all those classes. We still deliver all those products and programs, but we packaged it in the way that the CEO wants to hear it, which is we need to reduce turnover. So how do we do that? You know, and thinking about also, um, if you Google what questions people are asking about that particular topic, there's mm, a great, great website. I don't know, Terry, if you've heard about it or not, but askthepublic.com. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you put in your keywords. So you if can I kind of get lost in that site for a really yeah. long time too. <laughs> yeah. Be careful. Set a timer. But if yeah. you put in the word generations or millennials or, you know, something like that, if your topic mm-hmm. is whichever expertise you have or place you're coming from, put in your topic or, or a a phrase, and then it will tell you what people are Googling with Mm -hmm. that word or phrase. Look for the business questions. Look for how much Yeah, I was going to say, you have to kind of segment it to business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's really incredible to see what's out there and just, just flip the, flip the script from what you want to tell people to what they need to hear and what they are looking for. And when you just flip that script a little bit, then all of a sudden you are going to cut through the clutter. You're going to be the shiny object that they notice because it says the words they're looking for, not what you're trying to tell them. Love it. I I can't add a thing to that. That's fabulous. Fabulous. Wow. It gives you a lot (laughs) to think about, but it is a mindset shift. You know, when you think about your business it's like, I'm doing my own thing. I want the freedom and flexibility. I mean, that's how I am about my business. I've been doing this 15 mm-hmm. years, and I I do it mainly for freedom. I want to have freedom to make my own choices, to deliver value the way I see fit, to work with the people I want to work with, et cetera, et cetera, right? And having that be so, like, front and center for me, it can affect your mindset, and it can affect how you go about presenting your value helping your clients to really achieve value as opposed to, quote unquote, selling an engagement. And it's so important to have that distinction. So you become invaluable to them. And that's why relationship selling is so important and why your business is so much more successful now that you're not selling a, quote unquote, training class and that you're in there as a true partner providing measurable value and you're learning and evolving your business as a result of what's working uh, with your clients. So I think that that's really powerful 
uh, takeaways for our listeners. So thank you so much for contributing to more like smarts for our solopreneur listener and me. I feel like I'm getting free consulting every time I interview a smart guest <laughs> like you. <laughs> oh. So thank you for that, Kara. It's been super great having you on the show. And I am going to have you back in five years to see what crazy stuff you are up to because you are a mover and a shaker. And thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Terry. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. You know, being a solo can be incredibly rewarding when you have the right guidance, resources, and community to help drive your business vision. The great news is that's exactly what you'll get with Simplify and Multiply. You've just listened to another episode of the Simplify and Multiply show with Terry Pappy. If you want to get free marketing and business development tips, templates, trainings, and more, head over to simplifyandmultiply.com and sign up. Learn how you can grow your business the easy way. That's simplifyandmultiply.com to join our growing community of amazing, talented solopreneurs out to simplify their business, multiply their income, and make a big impact in the solopreneur economy.